Episode 74, The Jordan River Crossing. Welcome to the History of the Bible. In the last episode, we introduced the woman who would help the spies in their mission to search out the land and help prepare battle plans for Joshua. However, before we can get into the battle between the Israelites and the people of Jericho, we need to get the Israelites on the west side of the Jordan River into the Promised Land. In the last episode, we talked about the two spies hiding in the hill country west of Jericho for a couple of days before they returned to Joshua and the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan River. When the spies returned, they brought word of their travels and what happened. This trip was different for these two spies than what it was like for the first 12 spies that Joshua and Caleb were part of. The first 12 spies that went out were tasked with finding out about the land, who lived there, what type of walls were there, and what was the land like. Did it have good pasture lands, and did it have an abundance of crops? They were trying to understand what the land of Canaan was all about, because no one had ever seen it. On the other hand, the task of these two spies, they came back with a different report. They went into the cities to spy. The original 12 could have done so too, but based on their task, it would have seemed more likely that the 12 never went into any cities to spy it out. However, because the two spies went into the city, they came back with a report on how the people themselves were doing. In Joshua 2 verse 24, it says, Truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. The two spies come back with a report of the morale of the people within the land of Canaan. They knew that they could take the land and possess it because, one, the Lord was with them, but two, because the people of the land had lost hope in their gods in the coming battle against the Israelites. Early the next morning, Joshua got the people up and moved towards the Jordan River. They would leave the city of Shittim and head towards the Jordan River and camp there for three days. The city of Shittim, which means the acacia trees, was located east of the Jordan River in either two potential locations. One was about six miles northeast of the Dead Sea, and the other location would have been about eight miles east of the Jordan River. It was either from these two locations that Joshua got all of Israel to head towards the Jordan River. Once on the banks of the Jordan River, the people would camp out for three days. The officers would instruct the people that when the Ark of the Covenant and the priest carrying it goes before them, they were to move out and follow it. It was to be the direction that the Israelites were to go. However, they were to remain 2,000 cubits behind the Ark. This would just be about a half a mile, or 0.8 kilometers, so that everyone could see it and know the direction to go but yet they were not too close to it. 
One thing to take notice of with the Ark of the Covenant is that first off, it was before them. This was the first time the Ark of the Covenant would be before the people. When Moses set up a camp with each of the tribes, he set the Levites in the middle of the 12 tribes surrounding them. That way, no one could attack or get to the tabernacle and all that it held without going through at least three tribes to get there. The other thing is that in Joshua 3, verse 4, it says that the Ark of the Covenant would go before them so that they may know the way that they shall go. For you have not passed this way before. Did you notice something? The pillar of fire and the cloud were no longer leading them. They have reached the edge of the promised land and it was no longer needed for the journey. However, this is the first time the Ark of the Covenant was to go before them, in a sense, leading them towards their promised land. The differences between the two ways that was traveled with the Ark of the Covenant is found in other ancient documents from the same period of history. The way that Moses had the tribes move in formation was set up as if a king would when traveling from his palace to a specific location. The king's cart would be in the middle of all of his bodyguards. It was more like a caravan. However, when Joshua came into command, he changed the way the Israelites marched. This too has been found in ancient documents. The way that Joshua had set up was more like a military procedure. Picture a king leading, followed by his army marching into battle. Even the fact that the Israelites were instructed to follow behind the Ark of the Covenant by 2,000 cubits, this too is found to be the case with kings leading their armies into battle. The army was instructed to stay a certain distance away from the king. Although in the Israelites' case, instead of having a physical person going before them, a king, they had the Ark of the Covenant go before them, meaning that it was the Lord and his words going out before the Israelites to ensure that they went in the right direction to conquer the promised land. So Joshua instructed the officers to tell the people about the Ark going before them and that they were to prepare to move out when it did. Joshua would also instruct the people to consecrate themselves because the Lord will do amazing things among you. Another translation says, the Lord will do wonders. These same instructions were given by Moses to the people when the Lord was going to show himself to them at Mount Sinai. The way that they were to consecrate themselves was by washing their clothes and abstaining from sex. The word consecrate itself means to simply set apart as sacred, or in other words, to be holy. The word for wonders is the same word that the Lord used to describe the wonders that he did while the Israelites were in Egypt. 
This would give the picture that through great power, the Lord was going to deliver the Israelites as he did in Egypt, as the Lord will now do in the land of Canaan. Joshua mentions the main seven people groups that live in the land of Canaan that the Lord has promised to remove before the Israelites. These would be the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. The Lord tells Joshua that as he was with Moses, so he will be with Joshua. And then the Lord instructs Joshua to send the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant to stand in the Jordan River. Now, either the Lord told Joshua more than what is written in the book of Joshua, or Joshua simply expected the Lord to move wondrously, as he had done in the past. Joshua then tells the people of Israel what the Lord is going to do when the priest steps into the water of the Jordan River. When the priests were going to step into the waters of the Jordan River, the water would be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. Meaning that the water would stop flowing down the riverbank, and that would allow for the Israelites to pass through the river on dry ground, just like they had done in going through the Red Sea, or Reed Sea. When the water was to stop flowing, and the people would walk across on the dry ground, twelve men, one from each tribe, were to take a stone from the dried up riverbank and bring it across to the other side with them. Now, to talk about the Jordan River a little bit, this river was not some small creek that would be easily crossed. In reality, when the Israelites went to make the crossing of the Jordan, it was during the spring harvest season. That would mean that all the snow melt and rainfall from the winter would have caused the river to be flooded more than its normal water level. At its normal water level, the Jordan River can be anywhere from 90 to 100 feet or 27 to 30 meters in width and 3 to 10 feet in depth or 0.9 to 3 meters. That's its normal water level. That's its normal water level when it isn't flooded. Often during the flooding season, the river will overflow its banks, and in some areas, the river can span up to a half a mile in length. Although, the Israelites would more than likely not cross at that point. However, the banks of the Jordan River were flooded, and having 12 tribes cross over with their families and herds would not be a small task. The Jordan River itself is about 156 miles long. It flows from the north towards the south, starting at the Sea of Galilee and ending in the Dead Sea. It was one of the natural borders on the eastern side of the Promised Land. And it wasn't like any bridges had been built over the Jordan River. The bridges wouldn't be built for another thousand plus years when the Romans came in and conquered the land. More than likely, 
the Israelites crossed over on a ford of the Jordan River. A ford within a river is simply a shallow place with a good footing where the river can be crossed by wading through the water. The only issue with crossing over at the ford of the river during the flooding season, most of the fords were impassable due to the large amount of water coming downstream. This is what the Israelites faced. They were about to cross a ford in the river, but due to the rainfall and the snowmelt, the Jordan River would have been flooded, more than likely creating a strong current that would wash away anything, anyone, attempting to cross. Some men could swim across, but not with their weapons for battle, especially the families of the men that were going over to wage war. So the Lord was going to need to show up for all of the Israelites to cross over safely. When Joshua told the Israelites that they would be crossing the Jordan River on dry ground, they were getting to experience something similar to what the previous generation got to experience in crossing the Red Sea. As for those 12 men that were each to grab a stone, those stones would be needed for a specific purpose. More on that in a second. When the priest got up and carried the Ark of the Covenant, all the people of Israel followed. It says in Joshua 3 verses 15 and 16 that when the feet of the priest touched the edge of the water, the water from upstream stopped flowing. Meaning, that the water completely stopped coming downstream, causing everything in the riverbed to dry up. This would allow the Israelites to cross on dry ground. Continuing in Joshua 3, verse 16, it says that the water upstream piled up in a heap at the town called Adam. The town called Adam has been identified to be modern day. Damia. This town is about 18 miles north of the fords that are believed to be used by the Israelites to cross the Jordan River. What is interesting about the What is interesting about this place near the town of Adam is that there has been in the past mudslides that have caused the Jordan River to be dammed, thus stopping the flow of water downstream. In recent history, there have been records of mudslides happening where it would block the Jordan River. In the most recent mudslide, which happened in 1927, the Jordan River was blocked up for 21 hours. God is the God of the supernatural and the natural. So there is no saying that he could not use a mudslide to dam up the river which allowed for the Israelites to pass over the river on dry ground. At the same time, there is no saying that God could have simply made the water stop flowing downstream and stayed in a heap, as Joshua 3 verse 16 says. The word heap is the same word that is used in the telling of how the Red Sea was split so that the Israelites could cross it. The Red Sea stood in a heap 
and they were able to cross on dry ground. This could be that the water in both cases was held back by no physical obstruction. Rather, that God just held the water back. On the other hand, if God did use the mudslide that happened in the region of the city of Adam, it was still supernatural and that it matched up with the exact timing that the priest holding the Ark of the Covenant were standing in the waters of the Jordan. Whether God used a simple mudslide to stop the Jordan River from flowing, or he had the waters be held back by an invisible object, he still did the miracle of holding back the waters. When the people were going through the Jordan River, those 12 men who were to pick up the stones from the middle of the Jordan River, they would use those stones to set up a monument at the location where the Israelites would eventually camp. The use of a stone as a monument, either to remember a moment or to recognize the place a vow had been taken, has been discovered to be used long before the Israelites ever got to the land. Abraham would build altars wherever he encountered the Lord. Jacob set up a stone monument at Bethel when he saw the ladder ascending to heaven when he was fleeing his brother. However, other stones, 142 monuments, have been discovered in the Negev and eastern Sinai region that are believed to have been set up thousands of years before the Israelites came into the land. Most often, Whenever stones were stood up or erected in a specific fashion, they were connected to some type of religious significance. They would be places of worship, sacred places to interact with deities, and symbols of veneration. The Lord would condemn this style of worship in connection to other deities. However, the Lord would allow the people to set up stones as a monument to help the people remember what the Lord had done for them. So rather than the place becoming a place of worship, like all other religious monuments, the stones would be set up to remember what the Lord had done in their past. Thus, the stones would point to something greater rather than be the object of worship. Just like it says in Joshua 4, verses 6 and 7, when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. A memorial that pointed to the Lord and His provision. As the Israelites were stepping into a new season of life, their wanderings in the wilderness were over. They were now in the promised land. However, it was only the beginning of the possession of the land. Another interesting thing is that the setting up of the stones could also be used as a landmark. This type of landmark would be used to indicate ownership of land. So by the 12 tribes setting up the stones, along with it being a reminder of what the Lord had done, it was also a prophetic act 
and that they were laying claim to the land as their own. As all of the Israelites were crossing over the Jordan River, the priest holding the Ark of the Covenant stood in the middle of the river until everyone crossed. Once all of the Israelites were over, the priest stepped out of the river. As soon as they stepped out of the Jordan River, the water went right back to its normal flow during the flood season. However, we do need to remember that not all of the Israelites crossed the Jordan River. Remember that two and a half tribes, Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh? They built towns and cities for their wives and children to stay in the land that was on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Only the men of the two and a half tribes would cross over, prepared for battle, at the front of all the tribes of Israel. The Israelites would then march to a place called Gilgal, which was on the eastern border of the land of Jericho. And this is where the beginning of the land being possessed by the Israelites would begin. So join us next time in episode 75, Prepare for battle as the Israelites begin to conquer the land of Canaan. Until next time, remember that you are loved, special, and worthwhile. Thanks for listening to the History of the Bible. Let's get the word out by liking, rating, and following the show. This episode was produced by Nakeo Productions. To check out other shows, search for Nakeo Productions wherever you listen to podcasts.